Welcome to Cracks in the Foundation with Tallulah Rose. We're starting. Um, thank you for joining me, Chelsea of Rose House. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I mean, we've been talking, but I did yeah. really want to start with just explaining to someone who's never ever touched their spiritual side what is a psychic channel and like what part of it feels good for you i i love that thank you for asking um because i think about that a lot you know how because i i really like to be someone um and pride myself i think sometimes i'm being someone who can really find that common language with another person very quickly which is, I think, why I did so well um, when I was working in the addiction industry. Sorry, Cowboy's like, I have to be involved. He's fine. <laughs> I don't know why he's working. Um, I think that's why I did so well in the addiction industry is because you have to very quickly on the phone when someone calls in, um, figure out where they're at and, and get them to trust you. But so I think that I... Um, I like to be able to relate to people who necessarily haven't had a lot of exposure to spirituality, at least maybe not in a, in a healthy and open-minded sort of way. Um, I will, I, I like that I am, I have a background of psychosynthesis because it really helps me to explain things spiritually from more of like a literal um, and sometimes like sci- more scientific point of view. Cause I think that, you know, when we talk about our emotions, those are split between being a very like psychological, like scientific experience and also like a very ethereal spiritual experience. So I think that's where I would start from. And I absolutely forgot what question you asked. (laughs) (laughs) I was really curious about what what is a psychic channel or like how does that come about when someone wants to work with you or work with anyone that says they're a channel yeah um, i feel like i i should wear like this blinking sign on my chest every day that says i have add please be patient <laughs> with me and i love you and i hope you love me that's okay that's part of the process too yeah i mean people we most humans i feel need to see to believe um so you know, being a psychic channel helps when I'm talking to people who aren't familiar with that term or who feel very resistant to it, because I can often read their energy and tailor my response to what I, I can tell that they need to hear. Um, so that's a benefit, but I don't know. I, I like, don't know how to answer that question. I think is why I'm going in circles right now. It's really hard to explain to people what it is because it's a very magical experience. And it's an experience that I don't know how to articulate most of the time. I don't know exact. I mean, I, I do, and I don't know how it happens. Um, I just know that I've had thoughts and feelings about very specific things about people and situations and about myself for a very long time. And only maybe a couple years ago, did I realize that those thoughts and feelings and experiences were not random and that they were very intentional and that they carried a different energy to them compared to other thoughts and feelings and experiences that I had. And, um, the more I kind of dived into, well, why do I know this and, and what sort of pictures 
and feelings and whatever else is coming into my awareness as I speak to another person. Um, and can I, can I just like take a leap of faith over and over and over and vocalize those things? And when I kept doing that is when I kept receiving this response from people that was like, I don't know how you know that. How do you, how did you, where did that come from? And I, every time I'm like, I don't, I don't know, you know, I'll, I'll be talk I'll be in the middle of talking to someone and I'll get this picture in my head of them, you know, doing something specific or I'll get like a phrase in my awareness. I think I was doing a reading for someone at one point and I kept getting the phrase, call your aunt over and over and over. And I've just had to learn to be like, I'm just going to vocalize this. And if it's wrong, it's wrong. And if it's right, it's great. And um, in that instance, I did say it. And she was like, I can't believe this because for the past two weeks, I've been really stressed out about my aunt who lives on the other side of the country. And I've been meaning to call her and talk to her about something, but I've been really scared to do it. And I was like, you got to do it. And she did. And I later found out that it was like a very cathartic healing thing to have happened for her. But I still, I mean, after all this time, I sit back and I'm like, how do I, I don't, <laughs> it, it very much is like, I'm just a vessel, you know? And that's something that I think articulates in many different um, religions, the idea of us being a vessel for something. So that even in a way is something I might say to someone is like, this is a language that I use, but I guarantee you, if we just look around in your school of thought or whatever you subscribe to, we will find what is exactly the same. Um, and we can put it in terms that make sense to you. And that's, I think really what I love most of all about it. It's, it's transcendent, you know, like it's, everybody has access to this, um, an understanding of it and also like the ability to do it. It just, it varies so much depending on who you are and where you're from. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like this connecting the dots between different languages and sets of beliefs where it's just, what do you want to believe in? And then we'll go from there kind of thing. And I mean, I've worked with you multiple times. Yeah. At this point. <laughs> and I remember even when you were doing channeled collective readings and I think it was some video you posted and you just kept saying, I keep getting this like itching on my nose. I was like, oh, that's me. <laughs> yeah. That's a, that's a wild one that I've been actually paying attention to more lately is um, the feelings in my body, because that's always been my kind of greatest hang up is my relationship to my physical body. Even when I was in college and I was, you know, and I was doing theater, um, that was always my theater department director's main kind of um, constructive criticism of me is, he would always say, you're a fantastic actor, but you are, you need to have a better relationship to your physical body. And that's just sort of my karma in this lifetime. One of, you know, many karmas, but I don't have a great, but as I've leaned into the psychic channel thing and realized like, I very much have to be in tune with that. And it's very, very helpful. That's a new, something I've started bringing in is I will take much more time. I will really sit in the pause and I will watch where aches and pains or sensations or whatever arrives in my body. And I'm not afraid of it because I think a part of that might sound a little intimidating, but it helps significantly. And the, the nose itching thing is part of that. And that's something that I could just write off. But instead I'm like, this is an unfamiliar thing. I, I don't think this is mine. I think I should say something about it. And lo and behold, you know, there's someone like you is it's, it's, it's very strange. <laughs> <laughs> and with, even with the sensations, because you kind of get hit with sensations from all senses. It's not just your mind. It's like, what do I might smell something? I yeah. might hear something. And there's so many different avenues that it can take. 
was there a moment or is there something that's kind of taught you how to build that trust where it's like these things are not mine rather than constantly thinking like everything is yours and I have to hold on to it is there a shift that happened that you've noticed that oh yeah absolutely I mean because if I if I didn't pay attention to that awareness coming in I'd be a wreck and I think that's why I was a a wreck for a very long time I, I think that I have been feeling things that belong to other people since I was little So I, my childhood, I spent, um, most of my childhood having really bad stomach issues. I just constantly had stomach aches. Um, and then in college it became more, more emotional and mental. Like I had terrible depression and anxiety. And I, I've always told people the way I've always explained that is it hit me out of nowhere. I I never felt like I had a reason to be as depressed as I was. And it it did hit me out of nowhere when I was about 18 years old. Because prior to that, I mean, I had shit like anyone else does. You know, we all have family issues and, you know, self-identity, insecurity, all this stuff. But um, the depression really hit me like a wave and took over me. And I remember feeling like, "What, what is this? Like, I don't know. It just, I don't know. But um And then some, so, you know, I went through some pretty extreme trauma in like 2013. And then I developed this like debilitating chronic neck pain. Um, And every chiropractor I've ever worked with is like, you shouldn't have this if you've never been in like a severe accident, which I haven't. So it's things like that, that over time, and this all, of course, what I'm explaining was before I had this awareness that I take in things from other people. Um, And since I've, come into that awareness, which I would say started the awakening of it really was around 2014, right after that traumatic um, experience, that relationship. Um, And that's when I really started meditating. Um, My mom cut out an ad in the paper, (laughs) which is so wild to me. (laughs) She cut it, but she still does that. She sends me like news articles in the mail and I love it so much. she cut out a little thing in the paper that was advertising transcendental meditation and that they were teaching it at a, um, in a building downtown. And she was like, if you want to do this, I will pay for it. Cause with, with transcendental, you have to like pay a teacher to teach you, which is what it is. But, um, that clued me into my energy body, which then of course unraveled years and years of me understanding like half of these pains and aches that I've been holding, um, aren't mine or our buildup of things that I've taken in and they've manifested as physical ailments. And then I went to my first actual full blown breath work ceremony, you know, where you lay on the floor and you do like the breathing that sends your body into fight or flight mode. And I just, there was one point where the teacher was like, I think, I think everybody in the room needs to start screaming. (laughs) And you know, how often do you get a chance to just scream out in such a way that you let out years and years and years of, of rage, you know, and, and sadness. And I did that. And that also was like this big cathartic, like, Oh my God, I just feel like I released 20, 30 years of things that I've taken from other people. Um, so that's all facilitated. I think this open channel that I seem to have that I, um, and I hope this comes across in like the most humble way possible that I am hard pressed yet to, to find in other people, which is why I said the other day, like, does anyone have a reader (laughs) go to? Cause I I would like to be read for, but I haven't found anyone yet who reads the way that I do. Um, So I don't know. It's, 
it's a mystery. It's like who helps the, who therapizes the therapist oh, or like yeah. who heals the healer kind of thing. My <laughs> I also have seen this meme of just like hot girls have yeah. IBS kind of thing. <laughs> And I'm just convinced that it's just intuition and suppressed rage. It is. Oh, oh, God bless. Um, Yeah. And everyone who's opening that up, I, even in myself, when I started tapping in same around the same time, I had trauma in like 2013, Mm. 2014. And then after that, I had this like extreme pain in my stomach and I had this pain, unexplained pain in my hips. And I would always go to the chiropractor, same thing. I went to all these doctors and then I had it in my jaw, like my left jaw. And I was like, why are all these things happening? And then someone close to me was just like, oh, like this is energy that's not yours. And I did this meditation to release it. And I've never had pain since. Just with one? Incredible. Wow. Whatever it was, I'd like to sample it. And for me, it was, um, I really subscribe to the belief that like everyone is dealing with this culmination of masculine and feminine energy and balancing that. And so for me, because I had those traumas, it wasn't safe for me to step into feminine anymore. And so I would kept going into the spiritual world and trying to uncover parts of myself. And I kept trying to step into feminine, but my body wasn't ready to feel safe in that. So it was like, fighting that shift in me personally and even just you either want to believe that like there's signs everywhere and clues everywhere and everything has a reason and I think that's a beautiful thing I can't I know it can get toxic eventually sometimes like if you don't have a healthy relationship with it but I also think like the same thing happens if you believe that like nothing has a reason (laughs) so it's kind of like what do you want to believe and move through and I think you do that really well of like you balance these, especially with the psycho-spiritual training. I think that's helped you a lot is understanding that like, it's all just whatever, like I can never step out and understand your world and vice versa. So I think when you say that you are like a psychic bridge, I really relate to that because it's like you're meeting people where they are rather than trying to like pull them into this spiritual world. It's just like, no, like we all have these ideas and beliefs and motives that we carry. So I'm going to show you unlock little things that you might not have noticed before. Yeah, I appreciate you saying that. And it's kind of clicking some things into place for me too. I, I think that's why it's always been very difficult for me to land on one specific like niche with, um, Rose house I've struggled with that since I started Rose House three years ago of like, what is it that I actually do? Because there's not any one thing that I'm really trying to pull people into. You know, I'm not here to teach you how to be psychic, you know, specifically per se. I'm, you know, I'm not here to teach you manifestation per se. I just really deeply desire for everyone to, I think realize that they themselves are the bridge to, to, and from everything. And, and on that bridge is, is a lot of power and a lot of also surrender at the same time. And that we are all living in this space where everything that occurs in and around us is helpful. You know, I, 
I think we spend a lot of time, people spend a lot of time trying to get into flow state and resisting when they feel chaotic, resisting when they feel angry, resisting when they feel like they're in transition. They just want to get out of it. How do I get out of this? How do I get away from this? And being in a space of transition is so uncomfortable. (laughs) It is deeply uncomfortable, which is why we want to get away from it. We want to soothe our way out of it. But it's also so incredible and, and has the most potent information than the other side does. So when I'm in a space of transition, which we were talking, I am right now, and I've been in it for much longer than I would ever care to be. Um, I have moments where I feel really angry about it. And then I stand back and I'm like, no, I'm, I'm asking questions in this space that I wouldn't ask anywhere else. And it's helping to give me a greater sense of self, you know, the, the ideas I need to have for the next chapter of my life. It's telling me about my relationships and my boundaries. It's telling me about, you know, the depth of my spirituality and where else it wants to go. You know, the, I'm in receiving mode right now, totally. Um, and the information I'm taking in is unlocking specifically, at least at this time for me, a part of myself that I haven't seen in a very long time. And it's hard to open up to that piece again because it's it's a feminine piece. It's deeply emotional. I've been crying more than I have in years. But um, if I look back on all the things that I've been asking for for years, it's this. Is this how I thought it would look? No, but that's, I think what people forget is, you know, we ask for something and we ask, you know, our source of spirit, God, whatever we want to call it, please send me this thing. And when it doesn't arrive exactly how we think it's going to look, we, we miss it, we resist it, whatever it is. And I think if we can all just step onto the bridge and just kind of put our hands on the railing and just kind of look around, we'll see that what's coming onto the bridge with us is exactly what we asked for. And this is what I asked for. Mm-hmm. A lot of that we, especially for me, like I'm in a transitionary period too, but one of the things I kept asking for was like a deeper relationship to Mm. self. And I've noticed when a lot of people are trying to manifest things or trying to connect with their goals, a lot of what they're asking for is just space to be and like see themselves and show up. So when they feel like they're in this deep rest period and they're taught that they have to constantly go and move things and hustle culture, then it's this really like scary place. Cause it's like, no wait I asked for all oh, yes yeah. to, I wanted the space to heal. And that actually brings me to my next question because I mean, I don't know the full story obviously, but you did mention that you started, you have a background in theater, which I always find. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I mean, I love that yeah. about you. Like I, I have a love for theater too, but you had this background in it and then you got to a point one day when you're like, I, this isn't me anymore. I, it doesn't feel like this is what I want to do. And you kind of transitioned your whole life around. And unless there was a bigger thing, I would say that's one of like the biggest shifts of your understanding or one of the first shifts you had was like this identity that we're told we have to go down this avenue. And you were just like, it's not mine. I'm curious what was that first moment of like, oh, I can shift my whole identity around and still be safe? And how has that evolved now to these other moments of flow that you're getting yourself into of constant shifting? 
Cause that's something you're really good um, at. Too. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Cause sometimes <laughs> I feel like I'm very bad at it, but then I look and I see that I just transition again and again and again, and I just let it happen. And I, I take that for granted, I think. Um, cause it feels very painful uh, and I struggle with it. Um, just in total transparency, I really struggle with it. I mean, I, I complain to my therapist almost weekly about how I am tired of feeling like I'm constantly in transition. And then of course I reach these spaces and in, in meditation or through journaling or just taking a walk where I'm like, no, you, you're great at transitioning and you're, you're meant to be in a space of transition. And with each transition, you grow into a, a you know, a deeper, more authentic version of yourself and you, you do better work. Um, but with the theater thing, that's, I'm coming back to it right now, which is very interesting. Theater was, theater is the only thing that I've ever been involved in that I did for more than two or three years. Um, theater I got into when I was six, seven years old, and, uh, I didn't hit a wall with it until I was 24. Um, and I still, I noticed I went and saw West Side Story last night. Um, and I cried the whole time, partially because of the story and partially because I always cry when I see great performances. And that's always says something very significant to me about how, how special performances to me in theater. Like there is just something in me that feels so deeply connected to that, um, that I just love more than anything really. But I hit a wall with it when I was 24 and it was something that had been slowly coming on for about a year, I think. Um, and it was definitely spurred on by that abusive relationship because that person, um, my abuser was also an actor and, um, he was very hard on me in a lot of different ways, uh, about that part of my life, um, without getting into too much detail, but I think that was part of it. Um, that, it just really hurt my relationship to that thing I loved in such a way that I needed to walk away from it in order to come back to it. Um, but also I felt this call in my heart that had, that was getting louder and louder over the years that I, I remember talking to my mom. I, I remember exactly where we were in my childhood home. And I was telling her, I either am going to move to LA and try to be an actor, or I'm going to move to Nashville and I'm going to set it down for a while. And I'm going to take this job at, um, at the uh, addiction center and just see what happens. And she said, well, picture yourself in both places and which one feels really correct to you. And I really appreciate that that was her response. My mom's always been great about that, about encouraging me to really feel into my decisions um, rather than, you know, make them from a place of fear or tell me what to do, which I think is what we get from a lot of our parents. My mom is so lovely. Um, and when I felt into it, my heart very clearly was like, you need to step away. You're, it's never going to go away. You will always have theater. You can always come back to it. You will not lose this thing, but I am calling you in a new direction and you need to find out why. And I, it didn't, I think a gift I've been given in this life is the ability to be met with the unknown and say, I'm sign me up. I'm not afraid. You know, I've moved 10 times in 10 years. <laughs> like I don't, I don't hold myself down to anything. So um, yeah, I did that. And I went to work for this place and they let me have this job talking to addicts and doctors and social workers without any sort of formal background 
And um, I found out about a lot of these qualities in me that have led me to exactly this moment that there's just something in me that recognizes um, the energy and soul of another person immediately and how to talk to it and how to help them understand that they um, deserve to be happy and they deserve love. And it's just been like a whirlwind from there. It's just open door after door after door. And I've just had to kind of blindly walk through. Yeah, I love that. I, when you were speaking on like your love of theater and stuff, I definitely see that it's also a love of, it's like a visual representation of that identity shift in you almost where it's like these people show up and they get to be whoever they want in a way that's just like, no, I'm performing and I'm getting to show you this possibility of life. And I think that's kind of why I love it too is just, and I think you and I are very similar in that we just kind of (laughs) constantly move through spaces that people aren't comfortable with. And I think that's why we're friends and yeah, it's just this feeling of like, Oh no, I can be whoever I want and like acting and things like that. It's just this subtle shift of possibility really. And I even, you were an expander for me when I was thinking about letting go of like my artist Mm -hmm. identity, because it's just constantly been on my mind of coming from a space where I felt like I had to give to everyone else. And I wasn't showing up from at a space where I was like, no, I just love creating. And I think now for you, especially with you exploring like TikTok and reels and all that, where you get to show up in a space where you're performing again, it might not be exactly like on a stage and it might not look how you thought it would look going to look (laughs) at 24, but I'm curious if that exploration through TikTok and Reels has kind of created a purity with that acting for you now. And if it feels like I can move into the space without that burden or baggage from my previous relationship to it, does it feel new? I guess is my Um, question. It feels new and just this like great homecoming at the same time, because I've needed an outlet for that. And if you're friends with me in real life, I'm very, I I just am, I, I see myself at least as, as just such a clown. Like I, I kind of am always ragging on myself at my part-time job for being a very loud person in the environment. And why don't my bosses yell at me? Because I laugh so loudly. I've just got like a booming laugh and I'm always goofing off. And that's always just kind of my, my one outlet for that. And then TikTok appeared and I resisted it for about a year. I was like, Oh, I cannot do another app. I'm not interested. I cannot do this. And then I just got like the bug to do something with it. And I think, you know, the first several I did were all just lip sync videos, which I absolutely loved doing because I just love comedy so much. Um, and it was coming from a very pure place of just wanting to do it to have a good time. And that's how I feel about the memes that you make, because when I read them, they're so funny um, and so ethereal. And so just, I mean, when I just feel like they come from such a pure place in you of just like desiring to engage in this thing that you also appreciate that other people make. And I was watching TikTok when I first got on it and feeling so wonderfully overwhelmed by the amount of creativity that exists in this world. And now we get to see so much more of it. 
And people are so funny. I cannot get over how funny people are. And I was like, I want to be part of this. I, you know, and that's what that drove me from. And that itself has given me a lot of insight into the way that I, the way that I go about creating, teaching really anything that I do. And it's giving me a great point to access those things from. If I feel like I'm pushing and I'm trying really hard to create something that will make people laugh, I need to not actually create something. I need to, that's why I stopped. I was making videos constantly for about a month and I haven't put up a new one in a couple of weeks because every time I try to think of doing it, it feels very forced. And I, I just won't do that to myself anymore. And I think that's something you were kind of saying you can relate to you, you know, and that's what happened with Rose House as well as I felt very forced and everything. And I found myself procrastinating a lot. Um, and I know now after so much self exploration that as soon as honestly, those more ADD like habits start coming up, that tells me that it's all coming from a space where, um, I really don't need to be creating from that space and I can, I need to take a little break. That was my other question too, was, um, like for someone who is so afraid of shifting their identity, because I've noticed it is a superpower that we do have as like shitty as it feels when we do yeah. it. <laughs> I've noticed that like, I'm so used to it now that I forget that it's not normal in a sense where it's like a lot of people are not comfortable oh, yeah. even like doing it or even shadow work and everything that I've come to love. And I love getting deep and like, going to the brink of like, is she okay? (laughs) Where I find new spaces and shadow work isn't okay unless you're ready to change those uncomfortable things because it's just going to enlighten those aspects that you don't want to deal with. And so it's just going to make things worse. But I'm curious if you had any advice for someone who is wants to start shifting their identity or like wants to not even huge shifts, but like subtle things. If they want to change their relationship with their body or if they want to start creating more, anything that might feel uncomfortable, what is this advice of like, how do I do it if it feels so shitty? Yeah, I um, I know exactly what I would say to that. I've answered this question a lot. And I always tell people that if you want to really, if you feel sincere about working on those things and diving into that more deeply, um, work on uh, self-trust and self-forgiveness first. Self-forgiveness is imperative. And it's really, it's really been the thing that's helped me to evolve into someone who, who can greet change at the door and offer it a seat at the table without feeling paralyzed by it. Um, because the thing is, is when you're doing shadow work and when you're in phases of transition, you're going to be doing and saying lots of things that you have to forgive yourself for. Like it's, you know, there are things that get pulled out of you that you either don't recognize or you haven't seen in a while. And you start to feel feelings of like shame and guilt and all these things bubbling up because we can't transition unless we meet those things and integrate them. Right. So it's not to say that that space is only filled with that. I think that's also why people become really intimidated by it as we think that it's going to be this very, harrowing journey. And in a way it is, but it's also really exciting. And there's just as many moments of like, Oh, just this like huge heart opening sigh of like, Oh my God, like I, I can do this. And also look at the way my life is changing because any subtle shift in energy really changes the fabric of your entire life. 
anytime I'm going through transition and I meet something difficult at the door, what follows that is like the laws of energy in the universe, bringing me things that surprise me and comfort me and like totally delight me, people, circumstances, you know, moments of clarity. So, you know, I guess I just, I want people to know that that's part of the package. Um, but yeah, I mean, you're going to need to have moments where you go, cause we get stuck too. I think, um, especially people who aren't into that work as much getting really down on themselves about, Oh, I, I didn't meditate today. I, I didn't do this thing today to support myself. And then they get really anxious that they're not doing everything they're supposed to be doing. Well, of course you're not like you're a human being and you're still running off of all of these personality patterns. So, you know, you're going to have days where you meditate and you drink your water and you go for a walk and you are kind. And, and then the following day, you're a piece of shit (laughs) and you have to be like, I'm a piece of shit today. And it's okay because I'm not here to be perfect. I'm definitely here to do this work on myself, but I'm not the Buddha. I'm not Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm not here to be perfect. That's not why you're here. So that along with trusting yourself, building trust to, to just, to just be able to do it. I think, um, I would work on those things before I work on anything else. Yeah, I uh, definitely skipped that part when I started (laughs) because I became so addicted with like fixing myself and I became so addicted with shadow, even if it was a good thing. I've noticed that a lot of my shadow actually was quality things about myself where I was like, oh, I can't if I'm if I think I'm pretty, then I am a bad person. And like it it's gets really complicated because it's like you can be shamed for good parts of yourself too. Like shadow isn't always negative qualities or what we consider bad. And I just got so stuck in this habit of creating this little box of my perfection of like my higher self. And I didn't want anyone coming in and ruining my work. And I thought that if I let anyone in, then I was going to go right back to the old self. So yeah, for me, it was more of just like, I am someone who loves (laughs) just going head first like a bull and you can do it that way but it's also about the subtlety and I think that's why having like a psychic channel is so important or having someone who you can speak to because you create like again this bridge where it's not just going all in and constantly fixing yourself it's like okay how can I take this subtle energy and also have fun with it and kind of meet in the middle (laughs) yeah well said I um I I do think that everybody going through the spiritual journey and the spiritual waking awakening process will go through a portion of time where they get stuck in either fix it mode or bypassing mode Mm -hmm. because that space um it, it can be really addictive it can be very addictive to to see yourself as someone who has all, all of these different parts to explore and work on. And, and especially when you get more into meditation in the spiritual realm, it just, um, you know, yeah, I think you go one of two ways. You either become someone who's all about love and light, and then you start to become very bypassing of anything that is dark and shadowy. Like, no, it just needs a higher vibration. You'd have to eat high vibration foods. You have to, and, that, and that's, that's, all well and good, but it's nothing without shadow. It's absolutely nothing. And then you're just like living in fantasy land. You know, I think that's actually 
I'm going to bring in like my hot take criticism of, of so many other spiritual coaches and business people on Instagram. I think that's why people are starting to wake up to the fact that what they do feels very like pyramid schemey because it's very bypassy. It's very, if you give me $10,000, I will show you how to attract $10,000. And that feels very icky to me. I don't, I don't like that. It doesn't feel equal. Um, and I think that a lot of those people are stuck in like, Oh, I figured out the secret. And, you know, it's, it's a place I think that places us. I mean, we're very powerful, incredible beings. Um, and I don't want to discredit us in any way because we're amazing, but it, I think it's putting themselves on a pedestal in a way that, um, it just feels, it just feels off to me, like intuitively, I don't like it, but, um, and then there's also hyper fix it mode where you get so obsessed with the shadow stuff and so obsessed that you start to see yourself as someone who, um, needs to be endlessly fixed instead of endlessly held and explored. And that's the biggest like thing I want to give to people is, um, you know, that's why I love Ram Dass is he always says like, I am loving awareness. You are loving awareness. And that's really our only job in this great, big, mysterious journey of figuring out who we are underneath our personality and our ego and everything else is just, we're this center of being in the soul that sits and watches everything and just kind of laughs to itself about just how like unusual and amazing it all is. And that's another reason why I love your memes. I feel like your memes do a really good job of like hitting on the absurdity of what it sometimes really feels like to be a human being having a spiritual experience, because when you hit a certain point in your spiritual journey, you start to laugh a lot about humanity really. And it it feels very nihilistic sometimes, but it it is just this sitting back and this going like, Oh, like (laughs) you really were off the mark today. I love you. I love you. (laughs) Instead of like, you shouldn't have done that and shaming ourselves constantly. Right. So, um, there's a lot of phases to, to the awakening process. And, and one of those phases just is like Mr. Fix it mode. And, And, um, and it doesn't last. And it's very interesting to me. I definitely love what you say about the guru type industry. <laughs> it's pretty much the same as subscribing to productivity porn is kind mm-hmm. of my thing is that I don't Gary V or whatever, like everyone loves Gary V and like, he's just a motivational speaker and he talks about, or Tim Ferriss, the four hour, four day work week, four hour work week. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. I don't yeah. subscribe to that stuff, but <laughs> What it is, is the same thing with gurus is just the culmination of consumerism. And they're, they're doing a really good job of playing into it. But the only way to, they believe to make money is showing people that you need what they have. And that's kind of my issue with consumerism in general is like, I'm not whole unless I have this thing that they, someone else outside of me has. Yeah. I, I think that's, there's some truth to what those kind of abundance coaches do, but it's like, it's wrapped up in, like you said, this very like consumerism, capitalism driven type energy, because a lot of what those programs are about of manifesting financial abundance into your life is shadow work, which is tremendous. It's a lot of like, we have to uncover our limiting beliefs. We have to, you know, look at our stories from childhood and what we believe to be true about money. I think that's all actually fantastic work. It's work I've been doing too, but 
it gets, you know, like we said, wrapped up in this idea that like you, you want to make all this money in order to obtain freedom. And that's really more or less what I, I had one video on TikTok that went viral and it was about manifestation. And I was telling people that it's really not, it's not about the car. It's not about the house. It's not about the money. It's about the feeling you want from having those things. So that really is, you know, whenever you hear any guru talk about true abundance, or even, you know, if you look in the Bible and Jesus talks about, you know, looking around and being grateful for what you have, that's what it's about. It's about recognizing that like abundance is everywhere. It's an energy that we all have access to all the time. It's not something that we need to obtain. It's just something that we need to recognize. And so the beauty of that is the more we do that, the more we actually do attract like bigger and better things to us, which is just a cool thing that gets to happen to us. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I've gone through such weird ups and downs over the past decade of financial prosperity and being poverty level. And, um, I would venture to say that I'm more near poverty level at this point in my life right now, but I'm happier than I've ever been. And that is not the first time that I've heard that from myself or from many other people in the world about when they start really cluing into what abundance really is. And it's a feeling, it's not a thing. Right. It's for me, it's more, it's less about like you have this list of your manifestations and all these things that you want and you want to get to goals and everything. And I'll just talk about like health. Cause I think it's easier to visualize, but one of the things was I really wanted to when was it like 2018 I started bodybuilding and I was so into it and did all my macros and I was so clean and good at all that. And I was like, I had abs and all these things and it was wonderful. Um, but it was so unhealthy because I <laughs> found out I had two parasites at the time. Oh, so wow. I was losing weight like crazy. Um, but everyone was like, Oh, you look so good. And I realized that like, everything I ate, nothing was when I finally got to the doctor and I had, I was so sick. They were like, yeah, you should be dead. Like <laughs> I was wow. so malnourished and everything, but I was told constantly like that I was achieving my goals. And so I stopped doing all of those weightlifting and everything for years after that. Cause I was like, I don't want to go back to that headspace and be in a space where my relationship to it is negative. And it made me realize that everything we're manifesting or trying to reach goals and all these things, it has nothing to do with the end result of getting that job promotion or getting like your PRs and weightlifting and all these things. It has everything to do with like, at the end of the day, what is my relationship to that thing? Yes. And I think yeah. that's where that abundance is, is like, I could get all this money, but how do I feel about getting it? Or how yes. Do I feel about my health journey? Do I feel like I constantly have to lose weight? Am I so tied to the numbers or do I feel like I'm achieving like a relationship and homeostasis with my body at this point? Yeah. Um, and that's why I love like our conversations and everything, because I always love boiling everything down to an essence. And so the identity I've been playing with, especially with art and all of this stuff recently is like. I don't like being put on a pedestal that's like very <laughs> against it. <laughs> yeah. And 
my problem with art was that's what I was feeling was like, I want people to look at my art and just absorb it. And that's it kind of thing. And that's what the art industry feels like. I mean, it's not everyone. That's not what I'm trying to say, but it felt very much like I'm above people because I can do this thing. Um, or I have the idea that everyone's an artist and I started realizing it for myself. I just want to activate like that. If I had to boil myself down to a word, it would just be like activation. And mm. I started creating from that mindset now. And I have a much better relationship with art because when someone messages me or calls me and they're like, Oh, I saw this thing and it inspired me to do this or your question inspired like me to take action this way or all of these things where I just get these messages of people like trying or exploring their own creations. I'm like, Oh, I activated something and that's all I care about. And I think moving for a space with that, I think that's kind of like the shift hopefully business owners make. (laughs) And for you, like, I I don't want to put words in your mouth, but like, I keep saying bridge. So that to me is what it is for you. But where do you, I guess, do you have another word or do you like the word bridge (laughs) for yourself? No, I love that. I've, I've always, that's why I called my first course, the bridge. I mean, and, and a business coach I worked with told me it wasn't strong enough. And I was like, I don't care. (laughs) <laughs> your opinion, you know, like this is, this makes sense to me and I love it, you know, which is hard. It's, I think that's, what's, it's so hard for me because I, I get these people who are really great at marketing being like, your marketing's not strong enough. And I'm like, I wish it was, you know, conventionally stronger, but like, I can't, I can't do things the way anyone else tells me to. I have um, such like a gripe about marketing tactics. Like I, my whole background is okay. marketing and any business owner, and I tell like everyone this or like anyone who will listen is like, if they've achieved it already and if they're successful in their business and they try to teach you, it's not going to look the same because they've already done it. So you have to yeah. start over and find a new way because like yeah. their rules are already completed. Right. <laughs> so you have to make your own rules now. Like anyone who's like, when I was learning marketing strategy and everything and everyone was talking about SEO is the biggest thing. I'm like, hello, if everyone's doing this, like no one's going to do well with it. Like you can't all do the same thing. That's not how this works. That's not how the world works. <laughs> like you can't all funnel your energy into the same portal. Um, yeah. That kind of reminds me of what I explained to people about like um, spiritual foundations and like, you know, we've got all these giant religious movements of all these people following the exact same things and trying to behave the same way and trying to adhere to the same rules when spirituality is such an intimate experience with the self. No one else can tell you what it feels like when you feel the presence of spirit. You, you know, nobody knows what that feels like to you. So how you go about nurturing that connection and building it is going to be such an individual experience Um, and that reminds me of the same thing. I mean, and that feels very appropriate for my business. Whenever I've tried conventional marketing strategies, it doesn't feel like, uh, correct for me and it never goes well. But when I start to, uh, operate my business from a place of intuition and, um, and just my own kind of sense of, (laughs) Yeah, like, yeah, keep going, sister. Um, <laughs> my own sense of like creative knowing that's when my business does really well. Mm-hmm. There's a 
There's a saying by Robert Piercing. He wrote <laughs> this book called The Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. <laughs> or the oh, Zen, I love that. Zen, Zen and the Art. Art. Yeah. Um, and I, I like to remind myself of it because it's so easy to forget. But you kept saying that the people who the rules are about were not thinking of the rules while they were doing it. Like anytime you get the rules of writing, for example, and you're like, okay, Hemingway is a great example of how to write. And then you learn all these rules in college and you're like, this is how you're supposed to write it, become a good writer. And it's like, there were no rules when Hemingway was writing. They, those yeah, yeah. rules didn't exist yet. And that's the same with your own business is like, yeah, the rules don't exist until you make them. And you can use case studies and learn from like McDonald's and Bed Bath and Beyond, but that's not really you either. And I think we're moving into a space where those businesses are separate entities. And like, as you, as a business owner, and we have so many small businesses now, and it's so amazing. It's also a projection of you and you're the only person who can make those decisions. There's no rule. (laughs) Yeah. I think that's why we were talking about Marley Grace before we started recording. And um, that's another reason why I love her and I love her newsletters and the books that she writes, because she will actively kind of talk about um, learning the rules and then just throwing them out the window. And she really writes um, sometimes with, you know, long run on sentences or she just, she just writes the way that she wants to. Um, and she's wildly, um, loved and successful because of it in my eye, at least, you know, in my world, she's, I, so that's something that I love looking to her for permission to just do things the way I need to do them. And that also feels very human design. Um, you know, as a manifesting generator, I am told over and over by this human design language, like, you're not here to play by anyone else's rules, um, which can be tough, but coming up with your own rules always feels so good to explore. Um, and that's also why I have trouble working for other people that I've discovered as I've gotten older. Um, even this part-time job that I have, I have a lot of resistance to, to being there some days, even though I enjoy it. And it's a great thing for me to be doing right now. It's so hard for me to do what other people want me to do. Um, for me to get criticism, constructive criticism at the job, for me to be there at a certain time every day, I am so resistant to that. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I just think that we've all been told, um, we've all been given a lot of rules and structure for how to be human um, and how to be a successful human being. And um, we're given it by people who I think if you boil it down, like, they still don't even know what they're talking about. None and of them. <laughs> want everyone in this world to take responsibility for the fact that like they get to endlessly create themselves and decide what feels important to them. Um, you know, and how to respect themselves and other people through that journey, you know, but we're thankfully I'm seeing more and more of it, but we've got, we've got a ways to go. My favorite thing is to watch the news about when they start talking about um, finance, because <laughs> they always talk about the market. And I'm like, what market are you talking yeah. about? <laughs> market. <laughs> like there's a housing market, there's a stock market, there's a job market. Like which market are you talking about? And then they start going off about all these rules. And I'm like, who made them? <laughs> like who invented when did inflation? It start? That's what, you know, it's, And I get it. Like we're hardwired to create structures and containers to help us feel safe. 
that's all we've been doing since the beginning of time when we first started here. And it's just, they've evolved and grown over time to just be structures that make everyone feel like someone is taking care of us or there is something to strive for. Um, but I think that that just goes so far against our natural human inclination to just kind of connect and relate and be creative and, um, and ask questions. You know, there's not a lot of room for curiosity in those structures. No, even from a psychology perspective, I was, I had to learn marketing, obviously for my degree (laughs) and I had to learn consumer psychology and there was all of these tests done on children. And one of the experiments they did was they gave a one group of children, um, a toy and it had the instructions on it and they told them how to use it. And then the other group, they didn't tell them at all. They just gave them the toy. And with the group with the instructions, they found that that was the only way that the kids played with it. But then with the other group with no instructions, they found at least 15 ways to play with it. And that is the culmination of our human existence. It's like, do you want to follow those rules? That's fine. But that's all the creativity just isn't there. Or like, do you want to get back to that childhood where it's like you make them up? I'm having this like really weird flashback to a science project that I did in like fifth grade where we had to come up with like a, you know, like a hypothesis and then do the experiment. And then what did you find? And that whole thing. And we had to do the whole, like put it on a big poster board and present it. We had all our stations in the gym, you know, that sort of thing. And my project was so stupid. (laughs) And I think it's because I've just never been, it's the same sort of thing where I was given a set of instructions and I was so like, I don't know what to do with this. Whereas I think that if they would have said, come up with a science project, there are no rules. I probably would have come up with something better, but because they were like, well, you have to do this step, this step, this step, and this step. And I was trying to force myself into that container for this project that might, what was my project? Um, which household solution was best for cleaning a penny? And it's like, who needs to clean a penny? Like that is not something anyone ever needs to know or do. And um, I did, I think like lemon juice and vinegar and whatever else. And I remember looking at the finished project being like, this is a piece of shit. Like it doesn't make any sense to anybody. I remember feeling very like ashamed of it, unfortunately, as a child. But um, it's just interesting to me. And that, that theme has continued. Like if you put me in a job where I have a boss who um, wants me to just come up with, I'm a great investigator, but like, I need to be like left to my own devices. Like don't one, three. No, I'm a, yeah, I'm a one, three. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Which is along with my birth chart, just the most annoying placement to have. Like, I love that placement. <laughs> I just hate that it contains so much trial and error. I become very resistant to that. But again, like I said at the start, like it's something that I, some days I'm like, I'm so lucky. And some days I'm like, I'm going to throw myself off a cliff. <laughs> so it's just all part of the, the grand scheme of things. I think, um, that's just what I want, you know, to kind of circle around in a big way. 
I want people to engage with Rose House in whatever way I kind of continue to end up engaging um, and just take away from it this ability to zoom out from everything that they are and the entire container of their lives and say, it's, it's all okay. No matter what it looks like, it's all okay. And I can engage with it. And I'm always going to be fine. Um, Cause we were talking earlier a little bit about like, you know, kind of going through these shadow pieces and integrating them. And it occurred to me to note that you will go through integrating a piece of your shadow and you'll think, thank God I've got that over with. And two years later, here it comes again. And I think people can get really stuck on why is this thing back? And like the agony of revisiting something rather than going, Oh, it's got more to say. If it's knocking on my door, it's got more to say. Um, And I think that idea alone has helped me more than anything else ever has. And that's what I want people to take away when they come to Rose house. Yeah. And they, I think there's something to be said that, and you talk a lot about grief and emotions that people want to hide from a lot of the time. And I think there's something to be said that just because something was painful for you, if you do this work, it doesn't mean that it's going to disappear. And I think we constantly get taught that like things have to disappear for us to be okay. And it's like something happened to you and like, it's okay if you're never okay from it. Like having that with you doesn't make you any less or any wrong and doing the work wrong. It just means like it might not get as loud and that's okay too. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm sitting with that. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely beautiful. I think, I think that's perfect the way you articulated that. Yeah. I think holding space is important and yeah, I think when people come to you, it's not this, I can fix everything for you mentality with a lot of healers or even traditional therapy and stuff. I've worked with some therapists where I'm like, I don't feel like this is good because I'm not trying to go anywhere with it. I think we're always trying to go someplace. And I think the journey is more important. I think that's how you show up. So my question is, where do they find you (laughs) or how do they engage with you? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I'm Uh, my Instagram is always the the first place. Yeah. I'm taking a little break right now. I had kind of told everyone I'm, I'm taking December off to reevaluate, uh, cause I realized I was pushing too much and there are Mm -hmm. some new things trying to emerge. So, um, come January, fingers crossed, I'll be kind of back in action on there. Um, and really what I provide on there, I mean, there's a lot of ways to work with me again. I think those ways are going to change and that's what I'm figuring out right now, but I'm still kind of quietly doing tarot ratings, which I love to do. Um, but yeah, mostly like I love using Rose house, uh, Instagram as a way to just give people information that I think will be helpful for their spiritual and emotional development via, you know, journal prompts and quotes and me making reels and trying to offer you a slice of, uh, authentic reality. Um, I'm going to be working on a website, so that'll be coming soon. That'll probably Ooh. be rosehousecoaching.com because it's always been and that's really, and that and TikTok, just those three things are all I have at the moment. I say all I have, like, it's, that's a lot to take care of. <laughs> that is a lot. <laughs> it is a lot. Yeah. 
Um, but I'm also, there's lots of other things happening. I'm still trying to finish a book I've been writing for a long ass time. Um, yeah, there's lots of things coming down the pipeline. That's fun. I, I love the process of writing a book. I feel like it's one of those things that you have to really nurture yourself in. (laughs) Yeah, it's tough. I I have to give myself permission and a lot of forgiveness to like set it down for months at a time um, because of the way my energy ebbs and flows. Like, you know, with being a manifesting generator, I just, I will go so hard on something for two months and then something else will take my interest. And if I try to keep forcing myself to keep writing that book when it doesn't want to be written, I drive myself crazy. So, um, I have not touched it in months, but I hold it knowing it's arriving right on time. Yeah. I think the main takeaway from this episode is that it's okay to not have a linear path, especially with your own identity and journey. So, (laughs) yeah, I don't think anyone has a linear path and that's really everyone's great, really grief that they hold is trying to, trying to be on a linear path when no one's supposed to be. Yeah. Not even evolution or anything has Mm, been linear. No. Even though we're taught that it's linear, it's like, no, no. (laughs) Nothing is linear. And what I love is I'm reading this book right now. I know we're kind of coming to an end. This Journey of Souls book, um, it's the case studies of life between lives where, you know, I've read other books that are uh, full dialogue of people doing past life regressions. And this is full dialogue of people who are regressing memories from being in between lives and what the spiritual world looks like and feels like. And they talk a lot in there about how kind of addicted um, humans are to this idea of things being very linear. Um, And when they describe kind of the way the spiritual world looks and feels, it's a lot of describing it like the layers on a cake and like flashes of light. Somebody, um, one of the case studies, someone in hypnosis likened it to someone holding a tuning fork inside of, um, a strobe light <laughs> oh. and just the way that things like look and feel and orb and they, and they said, well, are you moving up and down? And they said, I'm, I'm moving, I'm moving everywhere. I'm moving across. I'm moving diagonally. I'm moving, you know, like you, there's no, you keep trying to put it into this context where things have to make sense. And like, it's just not the way that it looks. And when I'm in meditation and I'm feeling the energy of the world around me and of myself in this plane of existence, I think that feels very accurate where I feel like there's this burst of energy that is just in everything and around. And it's like a million different little strings going off in different directions. If you had me do that, I would 100% start talking about spiders. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Oh, don't even get me started. I, spiders are my biggest fear in this life. And someone once said, that's probably because they're your greatest teachers. And I looked up spider totem and the way it was described felt so wonderfully and annoyingly accurate to the way that I feel about the world and the lessons that I find myself learning and the way that they weave things together. I mean, they're remarkable creatures. I can't stand to look at them, but I love them deeply. <laughs> I'm, I was terrified of them. That's why I moved to Australia. Cause I was like, I'm going to face my fear. <laughs> oh, you, oh my God, you're brave. And I started seeing them everywhere and I had to deal with this. And then when I came back to New York, there was like four in my room. I've never had spiders 
before. Yeah. And I, there was one that was just living in my window and I would see it every morning and I just could not get myself to kill it. And I was like, but you would terrify me. Oh. <laughs> and my friend, um, who, she's in the spiritual world as well. She started telling me that like spiders are attracted to me because like I focus so much on change. And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. I think I, when I think about your totems, I always think of a spider. Um, Hell yeah. <laughs> I can't remember what the other one was. I was thinking about that the other day, but um, yeah, I'm very excited for where your path is leading you, especially since setting down art. I just know that it was such a big deal for you to do that. And it reminds me of when I set down theater and there's definitely a mourning process that has to happen. And also like at the same time, just a deep celebration because you get that, you get that feeling that comes in of like, Oh, this was the right, it's painful, but it was also the right thing to do, which I think is a really cool thing that we get to experience. Thank you. Especially with the human design stuff, since we're like, we're talking about, this will be the last thing. Um, I have like five one, as you know, so (laughs) I have gone through like this phase of consistently like debunking all of these projections and I'm like, oh, is this my identity or is this mine? And one of those was like artists. And Mm. I remember it was so stupid in like eighth grade or something. I won this award that was like the next Da Vinci Award. Oh my God, that's so extreme. (laughs) Yeah, I I love, like I was obsessed with Da Vinci growing up and I was like, he is who I want to be because like he's a scientist, he's a smart person. He does all this art, like he's just amazing and when I got that then I was like oh I have to be an artist now (laughs) yeah and that was like everyone started being like oh you're good at drawing I was not good at drawing (laughs) at that age I remember doing it and I was like "Eh." it's like okay I'm not great at it and then people started asking me for things like oh can you draw me this can you do this yeah we get like handed an identity it's so wild And I started picking this up. I was like, oh, I'm good at this. People want this from me. So this is my identity. And it, I kept going and going. And I mean, you've seen me just constantly frustrated of like, I'm making these things, but they feel bad, but I want them to like activate other people. And people would message me and say like that it inspires them. And I like keep going. Cause I thought that's what I needed. And then it got to a point where I was like, the act of creation is beautiful and I am so addicted to creating, but the aftermath, I don't even like art galleries. I don't care if anyone paints me something like I don't even have art in my own home. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just like, it doesn't matter. Like the act of it is what's important. And then I started listing out all these things I didn't like about art. And I was like, well, it's not me. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. And you got to figure that out super early instead of getting to 45 and having a crisis about it, which I think is, is why people end up having midlife crisis is because they've taken on an identity that's largely been handed to them. And then they reach a point where they finally realize I don't even like this stuff. It's like my, (laughs) this wasn't necessarily a crisis, but, um, my, my dad got my mom like a chicken, something, something with a chicken or a rooster on it. Um, wait years ago, 20 years ago. And she was like, oh, this is great. And he just was like, she loves rooster memorabilia. <laughs> so growing up, we had a giant china cabinet in our dining room that was tip to top 
um, t- bottom to top, what are uh, roosters <laughs> and chicken memorabilia, like statues and plates and wow. napkins and all over the house. And then I got my mom for Christmas one year, this like giant ceramic rooster and found out that she didn't actually like those things. She didn't like them at all. But my dad gave her one and she had a positive response and he was like, she loves these things. And, um, my mom could have totally taken that on and said she was quiet about it and very kind and just pretended along the way. But I think that's the thing. I mean, I could have kept doing theater and feeling really off about it, but because I was getting so much praise, um, I could have driven myself into the ground with that. And I think, again, that's what happens is these people reach a point where they hit a wall and they're deeply unhappy and they feel chaotic because they don't know who they are. And I just want everyone to avoid that. I don't want anyone to go. I mean, we're all going to go through that in some way, shape or form. We have to. But um, I would hate to be 45 and to feel like I don't know who I am. Ugh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like, yeah. Happens so <laughs> often. Everyone goes through that. I don't, mine was elephants. I got so many elephants every year. Yes. And I was like, yes. look, I love them, but I don't want to hold them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's people getting me, um, like hip hippie esque or like people b- still buy me things with like spiritual symbolism on it. And I hate it. I know that I'm a very spiritual person, but I hate when people like buy me things with evil eyes on them or peace signs or yin yangs, like, like there's just people love to put each other into boxes and it's totally understandable, but it's just, it's another thing that we, I kind of look at and I think is very funny that, um, we take qualities of the people around us and we decide things about them and then start interacting with them based off of those details that we've acquired about them. Um, instead of just allowing them to arrive as they are and not assuming anything. Yeah. And that's what essence, like just little aspects have been so helpful for me of like finding. Cause like, even with the art thing, I was like, okay, what is the essence of this? That's good. And mine has always been like creation and like, I'm really scrappy. <laughs> like if someone comes to me and is like, Hey, I could you figure this out? Like I need help with this. Then like, it's done. I can figure out anything pretty much. And I think that's what people are drawn to me about, about my energy is like, Oh, she can fix everything. Yeah. <laughs> and in a way I can like <laughs> show up. If you give me a task, I can do it. And I think that's learning that about myself has been what's really been helpful but um I know you do have to go in like 20 minutes so I'll end the call here (laughs) unless there was anything else you wanted to talk about no this is amazing I feel like I could we could podcast from dawn to dusk so um I love talking to you (laughs) good to same it's probably good to cut ourselves off but we should do it again sometime (laughs) I mean you're welcome on here anytime oh I would love to